Thank you for joining the Are You Writing podcast, the podcast where the writing arts interns talk all things writing. My name's Lainey, and I'm the head intern of the writing arts department this semester. Hi, I'm Diana, and I'm also an intern. Hey, I'm Emily, and I'm an intern this semester. Hi, I'm Angie, and I'm also an intern. So today, we're going to be discussing all things tropes, the good, the bad, the fads, and everything in between. So I think the best way to kick off the podcast would be to specify what we mean when we say the word tropes and how that kind of differs from things like cliches and archetypes. So I'll start off by giving the definitions. All of these are paraphrased courtesy of google.com. For tropes, it's a significant or reoccurring theme across a work or multiple works. And then the definition of cliche is a phrase that is overused and void of original thought. And then an archetype would be a very typical example of a certain person or thing. So do we want to kind of discuss what we see commonly in cliches and archetypes and how that differs from tropes? I want to point out that there's like a stark difference between an archetype and a trope because archetype transcend genre. But tropes tend to like stay within a specific genre. So like there's a trope for, let's say, a horror genre. It's not going to be the same one for a romance. Yeah, I think that's a good thing to point out. And I think it's fair to say that all three of them are, the word that describes them would be overused. Yeah, most definitely. So now that we've defined what a trope is and what a trope isn't, I think we should probably start talking about tropes that we like, tropes that we dislike, and what can be good and bad about certain tropes we see in literature. Personally, I love a good redemption arc. People say it's kind of overused, but I really like seeing growth and like a unsympathetic character and like, I think it's good. I think it's a good trope. I totally agree, especially when it's a slow burn kind of redemption arc. Those are the best. The ones that you gotta wait three books for are always, that's when it hits. But I also do love a good corruption arc because it's not, you know, seen often. If you can pull that off really well, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I definitely think corruption arcs are hard to write because, like you said, they're so kind of uncommon that you don't really have anything to work off of. So when people pull it off, it's super impressive. Not to, like, be so basic over here, but, like, I love a love triangle. I just, like, live for the drama of it. I'm like, oh my god, the choices. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I really love love triangles, but they have to be well written. Because sometimes you see love triangles and it's like, oh, let me choose between these two people. But they're literally the same person with a different font. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's true. <laughs> You're absolutely right. I was kind of hurt when I saw all the articles bashing. Love triangles. Like, love triangles. I know. Everyone was hating on them. I was like, why? <laughs> I don't know if we like feel sentimental towards it because they're the tropes we kind of like grew up on, I feel like. When we were kids, everything was a love triangle. But It was know, the Twilight, the Hunger Games, like Harry Potter kind of. <laughs> like, yeah. With love triangles, it kind of like formed teams. It made it more exciting to read the books because it was like you're watching kind of like a sports game, like who was going to win? No, that is so accurate. Like, Team Peta, Team um, Edward, Team the other guy. <laughs> disrespect Jacob like that. Yeah, literally couldn't even remember his name. <laughs> That's how irrelevant he is. <laughs> it's okay. Team Peta and Team Edward are the right answers. Yeah. I also love, if we're sticking with love, I love a will-they-won't-they dynamic, like a Jim and Pam type situation. 
those are like obviously seen like everywhere but I like live for it yeah I feel like any trope where they make us kind of wait for the payoff is definitely a successful one and then I hate to say it but I do love a bad boy trope (laughs) (laughs) a little bit of toxicity in the relationship I just I live for it Okay, so I have a bit of a weird relationship with that because I enjoy reading like the bad boy type of trope, but like you have to kind of say, hey, this is toxic, this is not okay. As long as you recognize that, I'm for it. But there are some books that just don't recognize it at all, and that's problematic. Yeah, I definitely agree. It's kind of like a guilty pleasure trope because I know it's bad. (laughs) (laughs) I sometimes seek it out. But I agree that, like, if they don't show the toxic and, like, downfall of it, then it's definitely harmful, especially to younger readers. And so, like, it could have a really damaging effect on young girls. Yeah, I rewatched Dirty Dancing and I couldn't believe it. I used to love this movie as a kid, but I was like, oh my god, he's so much older than her. He's really angry and jealous. I was like, ugh. That's that's bad. <laughs> it's still a fun movie. It's just, oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah, I never thought about that either. I mean, I've only seen the movie once, but that's a good example. So do we want to move over and talk about other toxic tropes that we tend to see a lot? Sure. Romanticizing abuse and mental illness. Big no-no. <laughs> no. <laughs> that is not okay. I think it kind of goes with the bad boy trope in a way where you just, you don't recognize the problem that is the trope and you glamorize it and then people start to believe that this is the norm. And so it keeps, you know, going on and no one does anything about it. Yeah. Even in love songs, they like perpetuate these toxic feelings. It's like, I mean, we've all been there, but it's not a good place to be. And I think the romanticizing of mental illness sometimes, I don't know if it's because I've grown up more and I'm not consuming as much teen content as I did when I was a teen, obviously, but sometimes I feel like it's going away and not really a big trope anymore. But then I see things like 13 Reasons Why, which granted, I never actually watched it, but I know it's terrible in the way it portrays mental illness and things like that. So I think it's still a big problem, definitely. It kind of goes along with that, but for me... I really hate the idea that to be strong, you don't show any emotions. You just keep them deep down and you trudge on and you man up. It's just such a bad example. Like a man can be strong while also dealing with emotions in a healthy way. Kind of along with that is violence. Violence doesn't equate with strength to me. Like you can be strong without wielding weapons all the time and like punching people in the face. Like, I don't know. I, I like a more um, mature approach to showing strength. Yeah, I definitely agree. And that kind of like ties in with the whole writing strong female characters. Usually it is male writers, I hate to say it. But I feel like it's almost like they don't know how women act. And so they just kind of try and make a fully fleshed out character, but then it's just a man. (laughs) Sometimes like I feel myself slipping into it too, though, because I like growing up, I read so much just like books where it is a male protagonist and it is like a group of guys So sometimes I feel like that does bleed into my writing. They basically write a character and his name is John and then they change the name to Susie. Mm -hmm. And that's basically what they do. And that's what we, you know, feed ourselves with. So that's what we keep writing and we have to like stop and like realize this is not okay. There is strength in femininity. That's like the, something really bothers me about the bombshell trope, like the femme fatale trope. Because it's like, 
I feel like the woman in that situation is not in charge of her own like femininity and sexuality. I feel like she's just like, I am human weapon. Like my job is to like trick these people into like thinking that we're gonna be in love and then like I'm gonna cause all these problems. Yeah, like I'm sure there's like, I don't know, someone's into that somewhere, but like I just, I don't, I don't really understand. I, I've never met a woman who thinks like that or acts like that or seems like that. Like, we're really just human. And well, it's not like also that person is that 100% of the time. I feel like mm-hmm. any characters like that, like, that's all that they are. Like, humans are complex. <laughs> like, yeah. I feel like recently there's kind of been, like, a rise in kind of mixing these two tropes where it's, like, people are receiving backlash for writing just the masculine, strong female characters. So they try and, like, show their femininity through, like, using aspects of the bombshell trope. And then it just is, like, no offense to Marvel, but, like, Black Widow. Yeah. Also, like, I'm over the makeover transformation. I hate it so much. Literally growing up, like, I have curly hair, I, I have glasses, so, like, when I saw that and I read that, I thought, well, I'm the ugliest creature to ever grace the earth, thanks. And so, like, if I felt like that, then so many other young girls felt that, and that's not okay. And the after always looks, like, lame. The before, they always have, like, their own style, but then after, they're just, like, they look like everyone else. Individuality is cool, like, having curly hair is cool. They always have to give up huge aspects of their personality. Like if it's, I don't know, they like to paint. They're like, oh, well, you can't paint anymore because it makes your hands dirty. So that's part of the transformation. No more painting. They're stripping away like all these aspects of the character just to make them fit into like a mold for the male character to kind of fawn over. Yeah, it's always like for other people too. It's like, I mean, if you want to like straighten your hair, get contacts, cool. But like, it's always for like to fit in. And while I feel like the part of me also kind of loves it, you know what I mean? I'm like, oh, good for them. Like, that looks fun. But then it's like they walk out. They're like this completely new person. And boom, like the camera pans to like the man being like, like mouth open. Like, it's always for him. And I think some people may think that tropes don't really have that great of an impact on readers and how we view our world. But I think this is a good example. The makeover trope has manifested in a way to be the whole glow-up culture that we see online and how usually it is girls are kind of like obsessed with this idea of having like a summer glow-up, a quarantine glow-up and all these different things where they kind of always feel a need to be better and different than the way they are now. Yeah. Okay, so moving on to the next topic. Do we feel like any tropes that we've discussed or any new tropes are kind of the easy way out or showcase bad writing? I only think they're the easy way out just in the sense that like we're all familiar with them. We've all seen them before. So I think in more of like a subconscious way, we're influenced by them like in our own writing, like you were saying. But I don't think they necessarily equate to bad writing. Like, I feel like that's unfair. Like, almost every story that we read is going to have a trope or a cliche or an archetype. Yeah, like, my only problem is they can make a story really predictable. And as a reader, that's kind of frustrating. At the same time, there are people who just, they love a good love triangle. They love a good action story. They love a strong hero. And, like, If you can write it well and you can sell it to that audience, then I guess there's nothing wrong with that. 
Yeah, I think it's kind of impossible to avoid using tropes in your writing because there are just so many. So kind of no matter what plot line you're writing, I feel like you're going to hit one eventually, even if you do it subconsciously. And I think in my opinion, like that's the best way to like incorporate a trope is to do it on accident, because hopefully that means that you're not taking the blatant trope as it is. Like you're kind of adding your own twists and making it work for your story. So it's not as bland and like not as similar to like the cliches as it could be basically reinvent in your own writing yeah totally i do think though there are some tropes that like inherently make a piece of writing bad kind of like the ones we were talking about before that are harmful one of the ones i noticed that the articles we read brought up was the manic pixie dream girl and i know that this is still kind of like a common one to use today but if i see one i usually just like stop reading or like turn the movie off like i just can't it's one of the ones i personally can't deal with and i just think it makes the whole work bad yeah like um we don't exist just to further the plot or just to like help the male main character grow it's really hurtful to like see yourself reflected as a helper or the angel in like every story every movie you watch we're complex too, like we're fallible. We can get angry, we can even be toxic. We're not always angels or helpers, and we're not demons either. Like it's, we're just human beings, there's a middle ground. And another part to it is they're always supposed to be like the kind of unconventionally attractive girl that the love interest can't help but fall in love with. And like in the writing, they're either described as like honestly gorgeous, even if the writer doesn't intend for it to be, or if they are portrayed in a movie, it's like by some gorgeous actress. It's kind of like they're trying to trick the audience in a way and it just doesn't work. It's like alt gorgeous, like instead of like long hair, like maybe short hair, <laughs> like maybe she is allowed to have curly hair, like something like that. Another trope that I think just like makes writing inherently terrible is the, like we were talking about, the bad portrayal of mental health. I think that's definitely like one where readers should close the book and not really revisit it. Well, I kind of wish there was a way to like tell younger girls and boys too about how harmful this trope can be because I know that like if I was hearing someone say this to me at like 15 I'd be like oh well I can read what I want it's not gonna affect me I'm smarter than that and I feel like the author definitely doesn't know how much issues they're causing them yeah I think that there should be more authors that write about mental illness in a fair way that like shows they don't glamorize it and they show like a path to healing like a way out um, or, you know, just for it to not be romanticized because it's just problematic to like read something and you think, oh, this is how I have to be now. And I think a big thing with romanticizing mental illness is I feel like a lot of times it's people who don't really deal with those that tend to romanticize it in a way because they don't really truly understand all the aspects that there is to having a mental illness. Exactly. Like if you've never been through that, it's not your story to tell. Like, you can have mentally ill characters, but it's not your story to tell. Like, you can represent them, but not tell their stories, you know? I feel like that's starting to rise up in the writing community nowadays, where if you don't understand a certain aspect of being in this particular group, it doesn't have to be mental illness, but if you don't go through that, why are you telling that story? How do you know to tell that story, you know? Yeah, kind of going off of that, leading us into another trope, like one that deals with like bad portrayal of a minority group is the barrier gaze trope. I know one of the articles we read brought it up. 
and kind of how they just constantly kill off any gay or gay-coded character. And obviously that is problematic for... Very harmful. Yeah, many, many reasons. Uh, on the same note, it happens with characters of color. And it's like when you watch a movie, oh, you know who is going to die first. And that's not okay either. That's a token character, in other words, which... You know, it's just plugging in diversity for the sake of having diversity. It's not actual diversity. Yeah, definitely. And well, what I think is, like, the most harmful about, like, what we were just talking about is when these characters don't have any depth to them. It's their very surface level, like, the whole reason I am here is because I am gay. That's not okay. So many gay people <laughs> have different personalities. <laughs> <laughs> exactly like they're so like those characters are so flat and they're only there to prove that the main character is good with gay people or people of color or whatever minority it just shows yeah. something of the main character they're there as a tool the one i hear about and this is even like seeped into like our culture in general is like gay best friend and a lot of times with minority characters in general, before they are killed off, they're usually just there for comedic interest. And like, usually it's just also bad jokes too. Like they're not even like doing a good job of writing them as a comedic interest. They're flat characters. They try to just be there to support the main, usually white character. And then they, they die. <laughs> like, how do you write something like that? Like that was know. the point, you know? Yeah, like you can have a funny gay character, but like, I don't know, it's done so poorly usually that it's like, it's it becomes like, like a problem. Who is it for? Literally, who is it for? Another thing is, it's nicknamed fridging. It's when, to give the male main character a backstory, they kill like his wife or his girlfriend or his mom. And it like, it happens so much. And my suggestion is like, you can write, like anything can traumatize a person, like other than that. You can even like base it off of things you've experienced in your life that have deeply affected you. But like it always goes back to like, my girlfriend was like killed in some terrible way and I need to get revenge. And if it is a woman taking revenge on someone, it's always to take revenge on like a man. It's always like the point of contention is a man and like what they've done. So it kind of goes like both ways problematically. <laughs> So the next topic we can talk about is tropes and how they're used as fads and how they kind of go in and out of fashion in writing. And we can kind of discuss whether we think that's a good way to write to the trends, write tropes that are popular now, or if you should write whatever tropes or no tropes at all. Well, I do think it's a good way to like relate to an audience in a sense, like I feel like a trope only works when people can recognize it and it's something that the public understands and something that they can like categorize in their brains. Sometimes I think that writing a trope that's popular now is like okay, but only if you enjoy writing it because there are the odds that by the time it's published or the, by the time you finish it, that trope will have already kind of like made its way through the writing community and it's kind of like died off again. So I feel like you have to be really passionate about that specific line of writing. Yeah, like right now, I feel like enemies to lovers is a very popular trope. And, you know, if you like that trope, go ahead and write it. It's your decision. But if you're, like you said, 
if you're writing just for the sake of being on trend, you know, what's the point in that? Write what you're passionate about. It doesn't have to be according to the trend right now. Okay, so I know we kind of touched on this earlier, but I guess the next question would kind of be, how can we avoid common tropes in our writing? Or how can we kind of encourage better writing and push these tropes past what they're normally known for? My advice is just get to know your characters better. Think about how they behave in different situations. You can fill out questionnaires in your character's voice, like there's the Proust questionnaire, there's 100 questions. It's really easy and fun. Yeah, I think one way to also do it is taking a trope that you see really often in the genre you're writing and turn it on its head. I know some of the articles we read talked about that. Just kind of having a trope, introducing it, the reader will think they know where it's going. And as soon as you take it in a different direction, it makes your story a lot more interesting and a lot more dynamic to readers. My other piece of advice is write what you know. And I know everyone says this, but like it's seriously good advice. Your life and your memories and places you've been and the people you've met are like so much more interesting than something that you like on TV. You can be inspired by your real life and put it into your writing. All right, does anyone have anything else they want to say about tropes in general? I guess if you use tropes, use them purposefully and mindfully. Indiana Jones and Star Wars, like, they're literally homages to certain movie tropes from, like, the 1930s. Yeah, tropes don't have to be bad. You can have fun and, like, write them as long as you're not harming others with them. You can use them however you want. It's your story. Do what you want. Yeah, I totally agree. I think it's mostly about knowing who you're writing for and what they would want to see from you and just being truthful to your own truth and, you know, knowing your place like we were talking about. Don't write minorities that are not you. And if you do, look for assistance. All right. Well, that concludes our Writing Arts Intern podcast all about tropes. Thank you for tuning in and we hope you join us next time.